fan drive time, Brent Gunning, Shoali alongside me here, here with you until seven o'clock. And I hope you love you some Brent Gunning today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm with you here alongside show until seven o'clock. Then I'm going to go grab some dinner. And then I'm going to get you ready for Leafs Yotes tonight. Pre-game coming up at 8 o'clock here, 8.30 across the Maple Leafs radio network. And then puck drop just after 9 o'clock. A late one tonight for you. It is a late one. And, you know, that's okay. Uh, that just means you're going to carry me like a sweet little baby tomorrow uh, on Friday. But we will get through uh, today. And I mentioned they're in Arizona. And that means they're playing their first ever game at Mullet Arena. And that is today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history, stay for the future at Dufferin North of Steels. And, you know, show we were sitting here going, what is the top story? Obviously, you know, we, we had a, a pretty important death in the world of sport, definitely the world of soccer today in Pele. Uh, but uh, sometimes I think when there's a topic that you can't do properly, it's best not to do it. So uh, both of us understand the importance of uh, what Pele meant to the beautiful game. That's about all we have to offer on it. So I've chosen to uh, to pull an audible here or call an audible. Omaha, Omaha, but actually it's Phoenix, Phoenix, because we're talking about Mullet Arena. I have been up in arms about this. I've kind of cooled off now. We'll see how angry I get when I actually watch it on uh, TV tonight. The 5,000-seat Mullet Arena plays host to the Leafs and Coyotes tonight. You know, obviously, this isn't the first you're hearing about it, but it's the first that's going to affect the Leafs. Where, where are you at on the idea of the NHL? Effective, well, not effectively, allowing this this to go on and playing in a 5,000-seat barn. Well, actually, I guess it's a 4,600-seat barn. Giving them is, too much credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are actually about 400 less seats than we all think because I guess this uh, formerly known as the ASU Multipurpose Arena and, uh, of course, being attached to the Arizona State University. And I guess, like, only 4,600 seats are earmarked for hockey. So that's that's where that's where we are. I just, I can't, I just can't believe the league so desperately wants to have it just like i mean look it's it's okay to admit when you're wrong it is that's that's what i would say to, one to day gary i'll Bettman. do it one day i'll do it and gary bettman should do it now you're right he probably never will because i think the coyotes are probably going to stay out in the desert probably for the rest of my lifetime that's for sure and mullet arena is just it's uh it's it's not a it's not a professional barn. We need, I'm not saying you need to have a place like a, a brand new stadium for every single team. Although that would be nice, but uh, yeah, the Mullet Arena. Eh, I think they gotta they gotta get different teams. They gotta get this team somewhere else. I, I, is that game even gonna be sold out tonight? Forty six hundred seats. I bet the answer is no. So apparently, from what I've heard, and my source is Jim Ralph, who I heard on Kipper and Bourne. So do with that what you okay. will. Okay. Not that hearing it on Kipper and Bourne isn't wonderful, but you know I love Ralphie. But take it with all the grains of kosher salt because it's very thick. Uh, you want you want to make sure you're taking it with a lot of salt for what Jim Ralph says. But yeah, I mean you know obviously Leafs in town, marquee opponent, Austin Matthews in town, the marquee player in that market, and again. And I don't think it can be overstated enough. All they have to do is sell 4,600 tickets. There are OHL buildings that would dwarf that in terms of attendance. Not some. A lot of them would. More people at the World Juniors probably. They definitely were. I would 1,000% guarantee that. There, Connor Bedard had more points than there will be thousands of people in that <laughs> rink tonight. He had seven of them yesterday. And that's all the World Junior talk I'll right. make you do today. But don't, don't. Don't put that catnip out there with me because I will drag you into the depths of the World Juniors and make you talk about it with me. But, you know, in terms of the arena tonight, I, I want to go in and 
I mean everything I say about it. It's a joke. It is not a professional rink. The fact that they've had to make a, you know, uh, the uh, they've had to turn hallways into change rooms for these guys, the visiting team, it's a joke. It should not be happening. I am going to go in with as much of a open eye experience as I can because, you know, from everything you're hearing, and I do think this is a little bit of the sales pitch, but it's supposed to be a different atmosphere. It's supposed to feel like everyone's right on top of you. And, you know, I'm sure when that's the case for, oh, just to pick on the last two teams the Leafs have played, Coyotes, Blues, you know, when the Blues come to town, I don't think it feels that way. But, yeah, when there's going to be, if there's 4,600 people in the building, are are 3,000 of them going to be Leaf fans tonight at least? Mm-hmm. And are the the other the remaining fans in attendance going to be cheering just as much for Austin Matthews? Like, I'm really curious what the vibe of it will feel like. They have some cool stuff going on with the idea of, like, leather sleets right up against the glass, but... It's a joke, and you know they. You can you can try to polish it up the way you will. We all we all do this in our lives, right? Where we find ourselves and made the the circumstances we don't want to be in, and you say, "No, no, it's great, really." And it's well, yeah, you know, it would be better the circumstance you actually want to be in. Like, is it cool that there's leather seats on the glass? I guess it'd be really cool if they just played in a building that had you know roughly seventeen thousand people, if not more, able to fit in it. So I. I want to I want to give it a chance. I want it to be interesting tonight and I'm sure it will be interesting. I just don't know if it's going to be any good. Yeah, that's the thing. I I don't really think it's going to be. I'm 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 willing to give it a chance as well, but I'm not going to hold my breath, let's say, for anything. Like this would be like an NFL team playing in an arena football league yeah, stadium. Exactly. <laughs> I just uh, you, you mentioned the idea of uh, how many people in the crowd will be cheering for if not the Leafs, at least for Austin Matthews. I, I bet most people will be cheering for Austin Matthews, regardless of what team they actually support, because, I I mean, this it's a little different when it comes to Canada, certainly, but I just remember I was at the game in which Andrew Wiggins, when he was, for mm. the year he was drafted, played his first game yep. for, the, for the T-Wolves against the Raptors here at the uh, then Air Canada Centre. And I remember the crowd, he, like, when his name was announced, and you, you know how it is with with Herbie down there, right? Like when, oh, as yeah. soon as someone, whenever the opposing team's name gets announced, it, no one really says anything no. unless, unless it's someone they really hate. And then in which case yes. that guy gets booed. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, Andrew Wiggins, he, he looking got, at you, Goran Dragic. Yes, exactly. And Hey, boo that guy all you want. I, so I support it, but Wiggins got a gigantic cheer. And then every time he touched the ball, people were applauding him. And I mean, so again, is it a little different? Certainly. But I mean, how many players down in Arizona can you actually say, hey, like grew up watching this team and and and, and cheered for them and so on? So I bet Austin Matthews gets a fair, a fairly healthy amount of cheers tonight from the uh, the Mullet Arena faithful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen it. You know, there's that famous picture from the first time he went down there. He had like seemingly every kid who plays minor hockey right. in Arizona down on the ice with him. And it's awesome what he does. And, you know, I think that this is a fun game for him. He's happy to play it. But I also think it's one that he, he very much wants wants to to get over with and uh, that is our our top story of the day our top story brought to you by thornhill toyota you know you you speak of matthews and the leafs a big problem for them and this is the case with arizona but it's it's been a problem for them for plenty of other teams as well is the idea of playing down to their competition you know the leafs are coming off a a win it was an overtime win they probably feel like they shouldn't have had to go to overtime to do it but they're going to be back tonight and you know when you look at the way they played this arizona team in the past there was the game down there in the desert last year where they pummeled i think it was 52 or 53 shots at vimelka and he he was able to stop 51 of them you know they've had goalies stand on their heads the coyotes seem to always play this leafs team tough you know nick ritchie is due for a goal we'll feature that in our best bet segment uh, uh when we wrap things up here but th- it, that's the thing i'm looking for with this leafs team tonight is do they have the ability to 
come continue to find their level. The, you know, this isn't quite the Arizona team that they always play down to, but it's been such a trap game for them in the past. And you really hope they can avoid it. Well, I think what I'm looking for tonight for the Leafs more than anything is probably how certainly Matt Murray looks, but just just how the goaltending has looked overall and Samsonov specifically I know he's not playing tonight but it's he he specifically seems to have like he he just seems to get a lot of run support let's call it right uh-huh. and uh, and that's that's fantastic and there have been a couple games where that has not been there for him and he has still shut the door but as of late he has looked a little leaky but Matt Murray since he's come back from injury has looked pretty steady. So I am actually looking forward to seeing not only how Murray looks tonight, because I think I, I expect him to continue to look pretty stellar, but also just how the going from goalie 1A to goalie 1B or goalie 1 to 2 works out for the Leafs going forward. Because I think after today, the Leafs, today's the 29th, on the 31st, on uh, New Year's Eve, we got a game against the Avalanche. What were you calling it yesterday? You had some oh, funny oh, yeah, name. Old, old, old Year's Night. Old Year's Night. Have you had guys behind the glass? Anyone? JR is looking at you like you have six heads uh, for that one. Even Tom Young hasn't heard of that one. And Tom <laughs> Young's heard of everything. Uh, old Year's Night? Old Year's Night. Okay. Yeah. I well, mean, you can call it that. I'm certainly I will. Okay, fine. On, on Old Year's <laughs> Night... The Leafs will be taking on the Avs out in Denver. Yep. And I mean, so also on Sportsnet, Fun Night of the Fan. Will, will Samsonov be in the net for that one in Denver? And if that's like, I mean, that's a pretty tough matchup for, for any goaltender because it's the Avalanche. But you're, would you rather put out Murray for that game as well on, on a couple nights rest? I mean, it's a conversation I think the Leafs are probably having at least. I think obviously a lot of it depends how it goes tonight. I think if Murray looks how you expect him to look, if he's looked how he's looked since coming back from injury, it will be him who gets the net. You know, I've been a guy who's been pretty bullish on Samsonov. I've expected him to kind of continue to make this be a true split as opposed to a Murray gets two, Samsonov gets one. But this is back-to-back outings where he struggled a little bit. You know, he had the one goal against the Blues where he just fell down. Look, guys make mistakes, guys slip. You're not going to kill him for it, but you give up four against the team that isn't exactly known for its offense in St. Louis, and you do wonder if Matt Murray can give you a little bit more. You know, there was the there was the point that, uh, that was made by Samsonov about not necessarily wanting more games, but wanting a chance to bounce back after the Washington game. Well, that's now a couple of rough outings for him in a row and you have a guy who's proving himself very capable of Matt Murray. I think you have to let him go on a little run here. So yeah, I would expect as long as it goes relatively well tonight, it's going to be Murray who gets the net against the avalanche. And then this goes back to, and then I think what you see in the game after that, that'll be at home against the blues on Tuesday is that goes a little bit to the psychology of the team. If Sansonov is saying, I want a chance to get right, well, that's the team he just played, who he did not have a strong game against. Right. And if you do want to keep him in the fold and you do want him to continue to be right mentally and have a chance to make this be a true split, I think you have to give him the net there. But you, but is that a little bit of a slap in the face to Matt Murray if he comes out and gives you two great starts? You know, there's no reason why if he starts tonight, he starts Saturday, that Matt Murray can't start again three days after that on, on a Tuesday. So that it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, Sheldon Keefe has his hands full with coaching this team, and he always has the blender going. And this is the first time really in his Leafs tenure where there's been a question in terms of goalie. There have been question marks in terms of can he get a stop from anybody in the past, but it's never really been a question. Somebody has always just kind of taken the net with this team, be it Jack Campbell, be it Freddie Anderson, and this is the first time where you're starting to see a true kind of conundrum. Although, I think the way it's it's trending, that question is going to answer itself, and Murray's going to completely grab the net. But I think this is really where 
the psychology of these two guys kind of comes into play and how important they both are versus how important getting one guy really right is. And, and I think if you look back to towards this past month uh, of December, even if you just look at December, they have essentially flip-flopped almost every game. They mm-hmm. may have done it for actually every single game this month, but I think they have gone between Murray and Samsonov. So I, I am very curious to see... Uh, who gets to start, certainly, if not against the Avs, but certainly against the, the Blues on the third. And then the, the next back-to-back isn't until the 7th, 8th. And then after that, there's another back-to-back for the Leafs. The first one is Red Wings, Flyers in Toronto, then in, in Philly. And then a back-to-back against the Preds and the Red Wings again in at Toronto and uh, in Toronto, and then at Detroit. So I, I obviously you're going to see a split for the two of Samsonov and, and Murray there, but I just... I, I mean, it's uh, maybe it's just maybe it's again maybe it's nerves. Maybe Samsonov is in need of a little bit of a mental reset, a little bit of a break here, perhaps. But he's averaged four goals uh, given up in each of those last couple of games, and I think in his last three games, including the one against the Blues, the, the three save percentages: eight twenty one, eight forty two, eight eighty two. And like I said, he's been at least getting some offense to help him get through and get two points or get a point here and there. So it's not it's not bad certainly given how well the Leafs have played but I I do wonder if if even as soon as next week it's not a 1A 1B situation and it is a 1-2 yeah I don't think they're going to come out and say it but I think we're pretty much there like I think Matt Murray is one to two starts away from cementing this thing and you know just to go back to Samsonov is you can see there are moments where you sit there as a Leaf fan and you're watching him and it was that run when Murray was hurt where you say how could Washington not want to just just qualify him just bring him back on a one-year deal have the chance to match whatever anybody else was going to do but then there are also the times during stretches like this where you say and you look I mean I'm sure Capitals fans were thinking it when they pumped five past him in in that game in Washington but there are the the I don't want to say glaring errors but there are the moments that make you realize why a team would be less bullish on him you know he does struggle with his rebound control he gives up some juicy rebounds and look on a team like the Leafs that is priding themselves more and more on being able to take care of that and clear things out it hasn't come back to bite him that often but that's been the one kind of area in terms of goaltending that you see from him where you just really wonder or or not wonder but you see the flaws that that let the Capitals uh, kind of kind of walk away from him there Uh, another thing we touched on a lot yesterday uh, but just to kind of reiterate all signs pointing to Morgan Riley returning to the lineup tonight you know this is a guy he's going to be skating alongside it looks like Timothy Lilligren that's pretty interesting in and of itself uh, you know Morgan Riley longest serving member of the team the we the guy we thought was the most important part of the decor for a really long time They've looked amazing without him. And, you know, I I wonder if we're going to have, and not that I expect them to stub their toes starting tonight against the Coyotes, but if the Leafs do kind of hit a slide here or they don't look like the dominant team, there are going to be some really uncomfortable questions about just what exactly Morgan Riley is to this team. Yeah, it looks like the uh, projected lineup for the decor, Giordano, Hall, Riley, Lilligren, Brody, Timmons. And uh, again, like revenge we, game for Connor Timmons. Maybe, we always talk maybe. about it the other way. Yeah, I, I somehow I doubt it. But again, I, I wouldn't if it happened tonight, I wouldn't be entirely shocked. But yeah, I guess uh, you look at Murray starting in front of behind those guys as well. I just I don't know. I, I am very curious to see what Riley looks like. Mo- mostly I'm curious to see if they give him a full workload today because I, I you know, they always say the the old uh We'll see how he looks in warm-ups, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then we'll make our decision then. And I'm sure I'm sure the decision has largely been made already, especially going into with the game starting in about four hours from now. So I'm sure the decision is has been made. But I uh, I, always, I always hear that and kind of scoff a little bit because 
I mean, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's a question mark of if he if he gets to a certain minute, they just pull him and, and they replace him with someone else. But I don't know. I just that's really my only question mark with Riley tonight. Well, the fact that they're playing him with Lilligren, I do think, says to me that they're probably going to play him a little less. You know, this is a guy who's up over 20 minutes when he is getting his full workload and they just don't have to do that. The fact that he's playing with Lilligren is going to allow them to do that a little less. He is going to get a little more ice time because he was on power play two at, at practice yesterday. It seems like they're going to stick with the five forwards at, on the first unit and go with Riley on the second unit there. So obviously special teams will dictate a little bit, but that's the other part of this as well is with the way the Leafs decor have looked, you, you won't have Morgan Riley killing penalties either. And if you're, you're a guy who's on the second power play unit and you're not killing penalties there's a world where power or special teams really dictate how much time you play so i don't think there's a world where they run him up at 24 minutes tonight or anything along those lines but i imagine them to just kind of go with the flow of the game the good thing about the leafs decor right now is that they really do have the ability to roll three pairs so i think it'll be a little bit in terms of just how he looks out there but i don't think they'll do anything to kind of hold him back from what would be a typical ice time load for him because even though lilligren is the partner and i guess he's the guy you kind of trust the least of all the other guys in the lineup or, or outside of Timmons, but Timmons is with Brody and he's the guy you trust the most. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect them to run him up there, but I think, I think you'll see a pretty even allotment of ice time across all the least D outside of special team stuff, which Riley won't be killing penalties and he's only going to be on the second unit there. So I, I, that'll be, that'll be uh, curious to, to watch uh, one other lineup thing as well. Dryden hunt drawing in the lineup tonight. Yeah. He was a guy who was traded for Dennis Malgan. Of course, this is a, uh, this is a guy, who's going to come in and replace Joey Anderson. You expect him to run around. You expect him to be big a little bit. Uh, I'm not looking for too much more than that, but, you know, it's been a long time coming for this guy. This trade was made before the roster freeze, before the Christmas break, so I think it's important to get him in the lineup. You know, Joey Anderson, he was running around a little. He was doing some fourth line type things, but far from undeniable, so this all goes to what I think the Leafs are going to do from now to whenever they make their big, sexy move is just look at all the pieces you have, see them all, and see who fits where. And, you know, Dryden Hunt, I don't expect him to be a game changer by any means, but nice that he's getting in the lineup tonight. This is a line from Luke Fox's kind of... Luke does a lot of ton, a lot of good stuff for Sportsnet.ca. I'm, I'm aware of Luke Fox, yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, he, he wrote this article earlier today. It was The title was, Winning Maple Leafs No Success in 2023 Won't Be Judged Until April. But this is a line regarding that trade with Dryden Hunt. He says... We're seeing GM Kyle Dubas swap skittering skill, which is a great uh, way to describe uh, Dennis Mulligan for straight line dependability in Dryden Hunt in a midseason trade. Is that uh, is that what you've come to maybe? I mean, I can't say come to expect because he's literally going to make his debut for the Leafs tonight. But straight line dependability for a guy who plays on the fourth line. I don't mean to like you know I don't nitpick, nitpick every line Luke yeah. writes, but I think I do. I do wonder how much you can even expect. And this is a conversation you and I have had when it comes to guys like Nick Robertson. For for example, when it, you know, like, how much can you judge someone who is just you know is not going to a have a outsized impact on the game based on being on the fourth line or just not being in the lineup all that often? How can you judge those guys? You can't. A guy like Nick Robertson, he, this is this is part of the problem, and you know, not that. Or well, I'm going to get into this with Frank Saravelli. We're not going to get into it here, but this is part of the problem with you know you're seeing him with New York right now. You know, we talk about Nick Robertson like he was a first overall pick. Alexi Lafreniere actually was the first overall pick, and he's getting healthy scratch because it's not working out quite right. the way you wanted. This is now year three of of 
his NHL career. Like, this is not a guy who's young, and or he is young, but this is not a guy who's just getting his feet wet. So it takes a long time to kind of be the right guy. It takes the right opportunity for some of these guys. Dryden Hunt is the exact opposite of that. He doesn't need any opportunity. He doesn't need more than 9 to 10 minutes a, a night, and he's just going to do exactly what Luke said. He's going to skate straight as fast as he is humanly capable of, and should he be allowed to, he's going to put a licking on anyone he can get a hand on. Like, that's what he's going to do. Don't take penalties. Actually impose your body against some people on the opposing team because that's the one thing the Leafs have lacked down there. Zach Aston Reese has kind of tried to be that guy in terms of running around and creating momentum. And when Wayne Simmons is dressed, he has done a good job of that. But for as much as we like David Camp and we love, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I love Pontus Holmberg, you know, Callie Yarncroke starting to find a, a, a home down there. You need more of those guys who can kind of crash and bang. And that's not Holmberg. That's not Camp. Hopefully Dryden Hunt can be that guy. And the other thing, and this is more just a, I think a little bit of this is to appease the fan base, but the fact that you have somebody who's not afraid to look at someone mean in a scrum, should somebody do something to your goalie or to Austin Matthews or to somebody along those lines, you know, Dryden Hunt unafraid to drop the gloves. And, you know, Wayne Simmons is very unafraid to do that, but Wayne Simmons can't get in the lineup for this team right now. So I think you need to have another option of somebody like that, another kind of nuclear code, if you will. So I, I like that element of it. I don't expect them to fight somebody tonight, but be a great way to endear himself, if not to the team, at least to the fan base. Uh, first of all, I will always be fond of Wayne Simmons, the mayor of Scarborough. So um, I'm, I'll always have a million. So, uh, there's a by-election coming up. Michael Bunting's <laughs> making quite the case, just got to say. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, Simmons is like the outgoing. Uh, he's, like, his, he's, last like, term. Uh, he's like the Ward Alderman, you know? Like, <laughs> right. like there's a lot of respect, but in terms of day-to-day duties, he's not doing it. Yeah, yet. yeah. That's, that's, I think that's valid. I, Bunting wants to run for run for mayor. I think uh, it's, I'll vote for him. Why not? I'll cast throw a vote as well. It would be like, it'd be like, it'd be a true, like, political thing of, like, Wayne Simmons holding Bunting's hand up like this is the guy who's gonna carry the torch yeah. the leaf from he, endor- he yeah. endorses uh bunting going yeah, forward right. yeah i uh but i i did want to get to this before we get out of here i i get to get to frank but you mentioned uh yarn croak i i gotta say in the I, I know it's been it was kind of an uneven start to the season for him and mm-hmm. i know there were some injuries and so on as well but They've really tried a lot of guys out in that second line left wing spot. I mean, we talked about Dennis Morgan. He got traded. I kind of liked maybe what they what I saw there at, at, at times, but again, skittering skill is a valid way to describe that because you never really he, know what you're going to get. He with played that. with the hottest guy in the planet, Mitch Marner, for like a month, and he got three he points. Good. Yeah, yeah. He well, good. no, he looked okay, but he never produced anything, so that's why he couldn't be there. But Nick Robert, well, Nick Robertson got injured, yep, right? We were kind of right. we're kind of talking about him. What, what would you see out of someone like Robertson when he's not in the lineup full time? And Yarncroke, I mean, it's not it's not super flashy by any means, but I think he is. He has quietly built a case for him to be the second line left winger, right? I mean, he is he's pretty diligent. I mean, on on Tuesday he had the drawn penalty, he had a goal. I think he had a pair of assists as well. So I'm, I'm I, I know when he signed the deal, it was like a relatively rare longer term commitment for someone like Kyle Dubas. We because over the last couple of years, like in the Austin Matthews era, I feel like we've grown used to seeing a lot of like Jason Spezza oh, yeah. like deals. It's the one year uh, 800,000 or one year $1 million or whatever. Uh, And he got a four year, $8.4 million deal. And I think a lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows about that. And you know what? I got to say he is, 
31, 31 years old to be doing, becoming like the second line left winger, probably unlikely. But generally speaking, given that they've really struggled to fill that spot consistently, I kind of like what I've seen. Best option they have now. He is a classic middle six guy. He should not be on your top line. And guess what? He doesn't have to be because Michael Bunting's a top line left winger on this team. I think in a perfect world, there is some more skill coming into the top six to push him down. And then you create a little bit more offense in the bottom six as well. He is the perfect kind of tweener role for this. This is what he was in Calgary. He's a guy who could go on your checking line. He's a guy who could kind of provide that presence. And then I think, you know, he doesn't think the game quite the same way that, that Bunting does, you know, in terms of his ability to play with star players, but he can shoot the puck. And that is obviously a great, great asset to have if you're going to play on a line with Mitch Marner and Tavares no slouch as a passer as well. So I think he's the best option they have now. I think they're going to continue to give it some burn because of the term. If he can fit there and he can be a top six player for you at 2 million bucks or 2.1 on the cap, Obviously, that that goes a long way in terms of building out the rest of your team. But I still think in their heart of hearts, they probably would like to have him in the bottom six and somebody else. You know, we talked about it yesterday, Bo Horvat, Ryan O'Reilly, sure. somebody along those lines. In Patrick the, uh, Kane. Eh? Patrick Kane, I don't see it happening, but uh, I'm sure Austin Matthews would, uh, would is love there, it. Is there any chance that either Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves are still Blackhawks by the end of this season? Zero. Zero chance. Unless they say that's what I've got to be. Unless they say that's, that's what I've got to be. And that's a great question we'll ask Frank Saravelli. He is coming up next. It is a fan drive time with Gunning and Ali here with you until seven o'clock on Sportsnet five nine of the fan fan drive time. Brent Gunning show Ali alongside me here. Leafs back in action tonight. And again, threat or promise. I'll let you decide. That means plenty of me on the airwaves uh, show. And I here with you for another hour and a half. Then I'm going to get some dinner. Then I'm going to come back to give you an incredible Leafs nation pregame show alongside Gord Stellick bringing some electricity to the airwaves. That'll start up at 8 o'clock. I, I always say, uh, to the delight of some and the chagrin of most. Mm. That's, what I, that's why I look at that. I, I like threat or promise. I do. I do. I really, <laughs> really, really do. Uh, we were talking earlier about will it be sold out tonight in Mullet Arena? I have looked into this uh, on the internet. I've really put on my uh, detective sleuthing cap. Okay, the, the home. You, you're a you're a you're a movie guy. Sherlock Holmes. Does he have a name for that hat, or it's just like a detective oh, cap? Gosh, there is there is a name for it. Okay, I cool. cannot. Well, I cannot you, you figure it out later. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we won't. I put on that hat. Hat. I even pulled out a monocle just to really uh, really lean into it. Deer stalker hat. There okay, you go. cool. I don't. I'm going to call it a detective hat. <laughs> and uh, there are still tickets available that are not resale. They're just you can go on the website uh, and buy them. And uh, I was a little surprised. Uh, resale tickets going for as cheap the cheapest ticket, one fifty eight to get you in the yeah. building at Mullet Arena. What do you uh, tonight? What do you think the price? Like if it, given we have seen so many different kinds of franchises mm-hmm. across different sports. I don't even just mean the NHL, but given that we know what the expansion fee is or was at least certainly for the Golden Knights, then for the Kraken, whenever there is another round of expansion, I got to imagine the expansion fee is further. But like, if someone were to just say, hey, I would like to purchase the Arizona Coyotes outright, I wonder how much that would be and you know what the price is in terms of factoring in a new arena cost because we just saw the Phoenix Suns get sold and yeah, they sold not, for it's not four, four billion. Yeah, dollars. they got sold for four billion. So I, I do wonder. I, I honestly wonder what the what the effect is in other sports when it comes to valuation of valuations of franchises like the Coyotes. I did quickly pull up the Forbes list. Uh, they're dead last in the NHL, okay, uh, valued shocker. at four hundred million dollars. That should shock you. Uh, what does not shock us? We're very very happy to welcome in our first guest of the day, Frank Saravelli. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for taking the time. Always love getting you on. Uh, appreciate you jumping on with us today. 
No problem, boys. Happy holidays. Oh, nice clean line, too. Listen to that. Yeah. Oh, that's sounding wonderful. Yeah, that that's like the best present I got all Christmas was you sounding uh, so, so clear on that line. So there's a lot of questions I have for you uh, around the NHL, but I do want to talk with the uh, news we got yesterday in Leafsland, and that was to uh, a couple of fines, one paid by the coach, another play, paid by the team. Now, I have no issue with the team fine. Look, that's a CBA rule. I understand it, but... Is it not a little odd that the Leafs would not be allowed to travel until a game day? I understand other teams would have had the exact same issue because they weren't the only team playing on the 27th. But is there anything that can be done about that? The idea of not being able to travel until a game day? Or is that just one of the, you know, with all the things that get negotiated in the CBA? I don't want to say it got through the cracks because uh, they got more lawyers than you know what to look over these things. But it just feels like that's, that's something that maybe isn't the most ideal to force a team to travel on game day. Well, look, I mean, you're going to have to, as long as there's games being played, there's travel, right? So I would say the only thing that might be odd is just that it's a little bit of a scheduling glitch in the sense that they had the farthest to travel going from Toronto to play a Western Conference team in St. Louis. And it just didn't really line up perfectly from the schedule maker's perspective. In a perfect world, they would have been playing you know, Buffalo or Montreal or Ottawa, someone mm-hmm. a little bit closer. And if you look, that's sort of generally how December 27th worked out. That's the thing is this isn't new. Everyone knows the way the CBA works, the way the schedule works. December 24, 5, and 6 are all blackout dates. There no hockey, no practices, facilities aren't open. You can't come in and skate by yourself if you want to. That's not how it works. These are supposed to be full holidays for teams. And so the Leafs kind of got the short end of the stick in that sense in that they had further to travel, but they essentially all kind of looked at it together collectively, and I mean management and players Mm because they clearly had to be on board with it, and said, we'd like to give ourselves every opportunity to win and get the two points in St. Louis. Whether there's a fine coming or not, we're going to break the rules. So do you think, like, and, you know, I understand I'm I'm getting a little tinfoil hatty here, but if, if everyone, for the most part, seems to be on board with it, and that's all the sense, you know, from everything I've heard today as well, is that, yeah, it did seem everybody's on board. And look, I want to be clear. Like, I understand the reason why unions have rules. It's so your boss can't go up to you and say, we're okay with this, right? Everyone's fine with working a day earlier. Like, I understand the idea of these things, but how would that get back to the league? Like, d- is it not a little odd to you if everybody was on the same page that that would make its way back? Or is this just a case of, yeah, the, the NHL knows things. They have sources, too. Well, it's, it's actually really very public. Uh, for one, there's this thing called flightaware.com when mm. you can track. Don't put it on Twitter, but you're right. Any yeah. team's flights. Yeah. And then there's this other thing. It's actually a Twitter page. It's called Sports Aviation, at Sports Aviation. They track the flights of every professional sports team in, and, and, frankly, college teams that are chartering in North America. Like, they're all over everything that's happening. And so you're not sneaking a, a flight in not just a couple hours early, mm-hmm. but really a f- kind of a full 12 hours earlier than you should be and getting that past anyone. Yeah, okay. That's uh, that's well said. And yeah, you're, you're right. I uh, probably should have known that because I remember when Mike Babcock was flying around in a certain jet and we were all very, very uh, aware of that. Uh, last one on the fines for the Leafs. Keith, he gets $25,000 for uh, his, uh, his saying mean things to, to Wes McCauley during the game. You know, the thing that jumps out to me, and I know I'm not the first person to point this out, you know, you, you have had a coach in Daryl Sutter come in here and say the league's been giving, or sorry, he didn't say it, he inferred it, that the league has been giving the Leafs the benefit of the doubt for 40 years, going back to 
of the 80s. Was it a little surprising to you that Keefe got dealt the fine? And do you think there's anything to the fact that there's more eyeballs on Toronto and it becomes a little bit more of a story and maybe people are more aware of it because it happens to Keefe as opposed to a coach like Daryl Sutter? Not surprised. Um, and frankly, there's been a few of these fines that yeah, have been Brindamore, handed out right? over the last number of years. Rod Brindamore was a big one. It's not always necessarily about what's being said. It's also about the optics and the look of it. And I think there's a lot of things that go into it. One, uh, being a Toronto team with that many eyeballs on it, with that many cameras on you on the bench, if you're going to be incensed every single time the camera pans to you and look like you're losing it, you're probably in for something. And not only that, we also don't know. That's maybe what they saw from the situation room. But we also don't know if there was a report filed by Wes McCauley or, or anyone on staff after the game saying, hey, this is over the line. They've been around a long time. They've seen a lot of different things. They understand that coaches are going to get upset. Players are going to get upset. Not everything's going to be perfect. But I think every single time you were watching that third period of the Blues game, you were like, something's just not right. Like, he's he's unhinged. And I'm all for the passion and the competitiveness and all those things that go with it. I think the league, from their perspective, is really trying to set a good example for people watching. And unfortunately, we've seen too many videos on social media of parents and fans and coaches in the stands of youth hockey games that have crossed the line. I think they're kind of saying, look, the onus is on us as a league to to show people how to act. And they felt like that one wasn't it. So, Frank, I want to ask you a little bit about something Gunning and I got into in the first segment. And the idea of where the Leafs are at with their goaltending situation. Matt Murray obviously starting tonight in Arizona. And then you have Ilya Samsonov, who got the start against the Blues the other night. And on Samsonov, we've discussed the idea that in his last three games, giving up four goals hasn't looked, you know, there's some slippage maybe there. Has the the generous goal support, run support, has has that really masked that slippage? I'm curious, like, where do you fall on their goaltending situation? Because in, as we have seen in years past, there there's always been, as Gunning mentioned, someone who has come out and taken the reins. It was Jack Campbell. Um, once upon a time before that it was freddie anderson and now you have two guys who are capable of doing it certainly but it certainly also feels as though perhaps samsonov is starting to take a back seat like are are we still at a at a point where we can say these guys are 1a 1b or is it a here's the starter here's the backup well i think right now i mean given that the larger sample size for samsonov has really been pretty good almost flawless in some ways with the record um, that you probably continue to give him as many opportunities as possible, that it, it remains in a best-case scenario 1A, 1B, also from a pure health standpoint for Matt Murray. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there that would like to play every night, but I think in some ways, if you're the Leafs, your biggest fear is is trying to save Matt Murray from himself, someone that's broken down at varying points throughout you know, each of the last number of seasons, including this year, just right off the hop. So I would think that you'd want to continue to get Samsonov as much play as possible that he's comfortable with, that Mary's comfortable with. And if it means shading towards Mary a bit or whoever the hot hand is at the time, then I think that's important. I think the goaltending situation to size it up from a 30,000 foot view probably couldn't be any better than the Leafs could have ever hoped for. Um, 
you know, you just look at the team numbers, 917 save percentage. It's, it's bananas when you consider what they're spending on it. Um, and so I think that's been a huge boon for this team. Now, moving forward, I think where it gets really interesting is, you know, and, and I, I was kind of one of those people right at the beginning of the season that was saying, I bet Sam Sonoff is going to be this team's game one starter in the playoffs, and it's way too early to even look ahead to something like that. But um, it, it's it's been nothing short of exemplary to this point in the season. And the only thing I would say is, before we sort of anoint them as anything more than that, through the first third, almost one half of the season is the only thing cautioning me in the back of my head is at this exact moment in time last year, mm-hmm. you know, heading into new year's, <laughs> we were talking Jack Campbell Vezina yeah, and it's... we know how quickly that turned and we know how quickly his game fell apart, but was masked for a really long time based on the support and play in front of him and frankly wins that covered up a lot of the issues. It, it really is uncanny how how similar the storylines have been kind of across the team. Uh, you know, a little more injury bug this year and, you know, a couple of guys carrying the mail. But, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really a similar storyline to what we dealt with last year. Uh, listening to Fan Drive Time, Gunning and Ali on Sportsnet 590, the fan, talking to Frank Saravelli, hockey insider, president of hockey content for Daily Faceoff. I'm going to get you to put on that insider hat, Frank. You know, I'm watching the Blues uh, the other night play the Leafs and Ryan O'Reilly scores, and my first thought was, hmm, I'd like that guy on the Leafs you know this is a guy who's who wouldn't right uh what do you think it's going to take to kind of pry him out of St. Louis I think one of the interesting parts of that is that they're going to be a team that you know just because of the talent they have they're not going to completely bottom out they're going to stay I think somewhat frisky what do you think it'll take to pry him out of there early and have you you know do you think there's any connection there with the Leafs A lot, and I think it's been a substandard year still by a lot of respects for O'Reilly. He started so slow. He's played better of late. And there's always the complete game, and you always get that effort from him and the intelligence that stands out even on nights that he's not scoring. But there's going to be a long list of teams, if he's available, that are signing up to try and get a player like O'Reilly and would have to try and you know, pry him out of St. Louis, which I think is all part of their plan. Essentially, if you think about it from their perspective, it's like, hey, we're in the mix, uh, sort of, kind of. And, you know, you got to come in and knock our socks off in order to to pry this guy loose from here. Now, I will say the one really interesting part of St. Louis and their setup is just reading through the playbook of Doug Armstrong, which they've in varying years when they've, struggled and and this team really hasn't had it right from jump street this season Mm -hmm. their their season has been a pure roller coaster winning streaks losing streaks all over the map and when you size up the entire west i have a hard time looking at not just the math but also looking at the teams in front of them saying here's a clear path for the st louis blues to get in and not only get in but then do something once they get in And whenever that's presented itself in the past, whether it was the year they traded Kevin Shattenkirk at the deadline or the year that they traded Paul Stasny at the deadline, Doug Armstrong has never been afraid to take some of the pieces that, you know, even for a team that's still in the competitive mix and to pluck those off and say, you know what, we're going to, you know, live to see another day here and we're going to you know, take these assets and and use them moving forward. What's really cool about what St. Louis has done, if you just look at it from a, a different perspective, they haven't 
taken those draft picks and assets that they've gotten back in return and just drafted and said, you know, we're going to wait five years to see that player in our franchise. They've taken those picks and most of the time packaged them to get real players. Like they use some Mm -hmm. of the picks one year to get Braden Shen and another year to get another. So they've been very active on that front and taking the picks that they get and flipping them. So that's um, I'd expect to see something in that similar vein this year, not just with O'Reilly, but also with Tarasenko as well. So let me let me connect the other story I, I wanted to talk to you about there, and I wonder if there is a Blues connection. The Rangers' healthy scratch, Alexei Lafreniere, that that's coming up tonight. You know, this has been a guy who's he he looked like it looked to me like he was kind of finding it with the kid line in the playoffs last year, and then it just has gone the way the rest of his career has gone so far. You know, he's going to be an RFA when the season is up. You know, if I look at a team like the Blues. I imagine, you know, maybe they want players who have proven they're more ready to help now. But as far as trade chips goes, if he's out there, I imagine that would trump a, a lot of what other teams could do. How do you think Lafreniere is kind of viewed across the league, especially now that he is uh, kind of on the outside looking in in New York? I think with intrigue, but also with caution. Because they all these teams, while they saw the prospect and the pick and the reason why he went number one overall and... I'll never forget the grit that he showed in in that World Junior in Czech Republic. Oh, he was, I was so there good. When he came back World Junior injury. show. He was good. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but they also have 171 games of NHL sample size to this point to look at and say, we know that the growth path is not. Everyone always wants it to be a straight line forward, and it's it's not always that. But to me, there hasn't been. Even the cons- like, it's not just the consistency. The flashes to me have been so far and few between that I think there's real cause for concern. Um, and and then you saw the playoffs last year, and and all of those guys. It, it wasn't just Lafreniere. Like, you know, Heedle had a monster playoff run last year, and you're thinking Kako is going to find a way to put it together. All of those three guys this year have sort of been meh. And and the team itself has struggled as well. In fact, I think they're in real danger, especially with a team like the Caps and how well they've played of late, of being in trouble of, you know, not making the playoffs this year, going from Final Four to falling out of the mix. And they've got a lot of work to do to get in. I'd be real curious to see which, uh, if the Rangers do make a big splash, which I'd expect at some point they will, uh, certainly with some heat coming top down from their ownership that which of those guys is first to go and which do teams covet most. I would say there'd be more interest. I, I'd be curious if there's more interest in Heedle than there is in Lafreniere. Uh, Frank, before we let you fly, I do uh, in the interest of talking about all the continuing talking about all these trades, I'm going to list three players and I'm, I'm wondering to get your, uh, your take on whether or not they will still be on their respective teams. Come the, let's say the day after the trade deadline, uh, Patrick, so you want to go rapid fire? Or yeah, what? yeah. Let's let's do rapid fire real quick. Uh, Patrick Kane. And, and just for anyone taping this, pre January one <laughs> deadline is sixty five days yes. away. I just want to throw a little disclaimer out there. I like it. I will. We will definitely make sure to timestamp that. Cut <laughs> for- that part out of the podcast, though. I don't want that in there. <laughs> okay, so Frank, Patrick Kane, gone. Jonathan Taves, gone. Bo Horvat, gone. Yeah, I just I, I I my question on Bo Horvat too is, 
And I, I think you're right on the Blackhawks. I mean, unless, like Gunning said to me before we brought you on, unless they explicitly say they want to finish their careers as Blackhawks, I, I got to imagine they're out of there. But Bo Horvat in particular, he is he might score 50 goals this year, and he still might get traded. That's wild to me. Okay, so he might score 50 goals this year, and the Canucks are still probably unlikely to make the playoffs yeah. again. It's amazing. So- I haven't won with these guys, with JT Miller, with Bo Horvat, with Pedersen, Hughes, the whole crew. Why are you going to sign them all to long-term deals that further ham up your your salary cap picture? If only they had thought of that before doing that with JT Miller. If only they had they had done that, Frank. I, I'm with you. It's, it, they, they need a reset there in the worst way. You know, there was the report that came out that everything outside of Pedersen, and that would include Quinn Hughes, is on the table. And to me, that feels like uh, them asking. And it should be. To me, that is them throwing out a, a flare to the league saying, we want all your best offers for everybody who's not Pedersen. And if you want to offer him, uh, offer us and him too, uh, feel free to get creative. Because you're right. Like when you have a team that has the talent they have, that just hasn't been able to click, hasn't been able to find a way. They have the goalie, or at least they thought they did here. They had a coach they really liked until it didn't work out. They tried the complete other approach. I, I'm with you. It is it is definitely time to uh, to shake things up and try something new there in uh, Vancouver. We're, we're up against it, Frank. Really, really appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully you have a happy new year. And I'll throw out the disclaimer again. All of those guys we gave out on December 29th. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know that I really... Uh, broke any new ground there for you, but happy to play along. Uh, very, very much appreciated. Uh, there he goes. Frank Saravelli, uh, Daily Faceoff, Hockey Insider, and President of Hockey Content. Uh, quite the lofty title there. Uh, show, yeah, i uh, not too surprised by any of those answers. I do wonder, you know, the Rangers, right? It's always... It's always interesting when you have a team like them who are in a big market and they are very susceptible to making moves for the fan base at times. And not that other teams aren't guilty of that, but we remember when Washington went in there and beat them all up and they said, we got to completely change things. And they go out and get Ryan Reeves. I could see a world where Patrick Kane is the name there. You know, you keep asking about him with the Leafs. It just makes all the sense in the world. You know, we were doing the thing early on where, oh, maybe the Sabres will be really rolling and that's where Patrick Kane will want to go. They're playing okay, but they haven't taken off the the way you would hope. And Patrick Kane, I don't think, wants the stink of not being able to get them in uh, on, on his back there. Feels to me like the Rangers are kind of the perfect home for him. And just looking quickly at their cap-friendly page, they have a couple million bucks of cap room now, presuming they continue to accumulate space the way they have. They'll have about seven million bucks at the deadline. So they could definitely find a way to fit somebody like a Kane or a Taves or a Horvat, or should they go out and get Ryan O'Reilly, even him? I think, too, the Rangers have a couple of first-round picks in the 2023 NHL draft. And from what I recall, when uh, Chicago traded Alex DeBrincat, I believe the re- the return was also a first and second. I think people mm-hmm. generally agree that the, the, the Sens probably got away with a steal with the DeBrincat trade, certainly. But uh, if, if Chicago offers, or pardon me, if the Rangers offer to Chicago a first and a second for, let's say, Patrick Kane as well, I wonder if that's where you start and then maybe you get up to two first-rounders in a second or something like that. But I, I, I think, yeah, Frank's probably right. He's probably got the The other interesting thing that'll complicate this as well is, and we haven't heard from Patrick Kane about this or Jonathan Taves for that matter, is you could have a Claude Giroux scenario on your hands where he's effectively saying, no, I'm, I'm going to go to one team. So you negotiate 
negotiate with them. And why would they negotiate with you at all if you are effectively held up against it? So I imagine Patrick Kane won. He, not to say Giroud, didn't have a good relationship with the Flyers for all intent, from everything we know he did. I imagine Kane wouldn't want to do that to the Blackhawks. I would imagine Taves puts himself in a pretty similar boat there. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. You know, obviously those guys bring completely different things. The Horvat one, you know, I understand the idea of trading a guy. It's so tough to do that. But they just made that mistake with JT Miller. He had a career season. They kept him. They signed him to an extension that has yet to take effect. It takes effect next year. They just made that mistake. I don't see a world where they do them do it to themselves again. I'm dying to know where Horvat ends up because he is a guy who he gets credit in terms of being the good player, but I don't know that we quite give him the complete amount of due he deserves. And I'd love to see him in a playoff series. Just please not on a team in the Atlantic division. Well, unless it's that team is. The well, yeah, of course, Italy's, obviously yeah. I take that in a heartbeat, but uh, I don't think that's the guy uh, for, so. for them. I don't think so. I, I, I keep looking at O'Reilly and like, like Frank said, there are going to be a lot of teams kicking the can down there. Well, when we, we, we talked to Kristen Shilton yesterday, yep. or yesterday, and one of the things Kristen said was the idea of the idea of talking to or grabbing people who have experience in the playoffs, like a Ryan O'Reilly, or given that they're given the relative age, and then obviously Bo Horvath as a relatively young man as well, yep. you could maybe go out and get someone like him and and still keep him for some time to come instead of uh, like two years. For yeah, uh, this will shock me. If, stop me if you heard this before. The Leafs cap uh, figure uh, they need <laughs> to keep it very clean for a couple summers from now yeah. for a guy who wears thirty four. Hopefully, he has a big night in Arizona. We will have the Leafs game on the station tonight, but we still got one hour left of fan. Drive time. We're going to dive into the Thursday nighter and get you set for the Raptors at home tonight for a date with John Morant and the Grizzlies. It's Gunning and Ali on the fan drive time on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.